You're tuned in to the New Life Fellowship audio service. Here at New Life, we believe in facilitating a worship service that reflects the abundant new life that Jesus wants to give us in John 10.10. As you listen to today's sermon, feel free to share points that stand out to you on social media and use the hashtag NewLifeAU to join the national conversation. Enjoy today's message. God in heaven, it is not foreign for you to hear those names about yourself because it is not that you do not know who you are, but it is that we forget who you are. And so God, when we say in this moment that you are a way maker, we are reminding ourselves that you will make a way in our lives. When we say that you are a miracle worker, we are reminding ourselves that miracles can still be worked even now. When we say that you are a promise keeper, we are reminding ourselves that every promise you have spoken over us, you will bring to pass. God, that is who you are. So in this moment, as we look and hear from your word, remind us once again who you are. We are waiting to see your face. Show us your glory in this moment. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you to Chat Polite for inviting me uh, to share with you all. As he said, I'm normally over at one place. Uh, That's where I spend most of my Sabbaths. I'm the creative pastor there, and um, it's my week off, and now I'm here. So (laughs) it's great to be with you all. And my call today was to talk about Advent, talk about Christmas, because this is the season that we're walking into. This is the first weekend of the Advent season, the, one of the high points in the Christian calendar. And so we're going to begin this week by talking a bit about Christmas. But I have to admit to you that I, um, I have a very complicated relationship with the Christmas story. Um, As someone who grew up in church, hearing the story, going to terrible Christmas plays, seeing little kids recite the Christmas verses, um, going to those big churches that had live animals in their service, you know, all of those things, uh, it's really easy to get tired of this Christmas narrative and wonder what relevance it even has in the 21st century. I also have a complicated relationship with scripture in general, because especially in this past year, I started to wonder what is it about this text that's different from other texts? What is it about the words in this book that are so powerful and relevant that it still even matters in my life right now? And so over this past year, I asked some questions of God I ask a lot of questions, sometimes questions that people think shouldn't even be asked, but I ask questions of God, and I ask God, why should I read this book? Because I hadn't read this book in a long time. I have to admit to you that I, in the past year, I've only read scripture to prepare for sermons. Because I don't want to be part of a religion or a book that is used to do the things that is used to do in our society today. 
And so I asked some questions of God. And I said, I need you to make this real and relevant because I'm doing just fine without it at the moment. And so I started out with the question, what is sin? And so one day after I had done some schoolwork in the morning, I sat down before I left for work and I read Genesis 1 through 3. And I read it through the lens of what is sin? I know what I was told sin was as a kid. I know what I was told about sin from people who tried to keep me from doing things like getting tattoos and piercings. I know what sin was from people who tried to tell my friends and family that they are going to hell because they're not Adventist. I know what sin was to those people, but I wanted to know what sin was to God. And so as I was reading Genesis chapters one through three, it came to me, there are two things about what sin is. Sin brings pain where there was once peace. Sin is a disturbance of shalom. That is what sin is. And when I heard that, as I was reading and I wrote that in my Bible, I said to myself, this changes everything about the way I read this book. This changes everything about the way I view sin in the world today. This changes everything even as I was preparing and praying about this message, it changes everything about what Christmas is about. Sin brings pain where there was once peace. It is a clear disturbance of shalom. And I don't know about you, but I have been recognizing these clear disturbances of shalom in my life and in society it's undeniable. There's a clear disturbance of shalom where a government is able to tear gas toddlers who are trying to seek asylum at a border. It is a clear disturbance of shalom when a 13-year-old girl who was a poet and spoke out against gun violence, Sandra Parks, is shot dead by the same thing she spoke out against, by a stray bullet in her own bedroom. There is a clear disturbance of shalom when there are things like fires that can destroy whole cities and counties. There's a clear disturbance of shalom when there is a humanitarian crisis in Yemen where there are people physically starving and there's governments that are more worried about getting money from arms deals than about caring for people. There is a clear disturbance of shalom. There's a clear disturbance of shalom where in this country, Certain people having rights to vote are questioned. Where voter suppression still happens in 2018, there's a clear disturbance of shalom where a Muslim woman can't even go to the store without being accosted. Where someone who speaks Spanish can't, be, can't speak Spanish in public because they're going to get yelled at. There is a clear disturbance of shalom. And I began to think, how am I supposed to respond to this? There's a clear disturbance of shalom where you can be in your 20s and die in a split second. 
there's something wrong because sin is bringing pain where there was once peace. And so I was led to this text in Luke chapter 1. I thought, who has a message, a word about what God believes about sin, God's response to sin? And so in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, you have a passage that is vaguely familiar to most. Uh, It's referred to in Christianity as the Magnificat. It is the Song of Mary. Uh, After Mary had had this interaction with the angels and Elizabeth and Zachariah had had their interaction with with the angel as well, they were both told that they were going to have children. And Mary receives this message and the angel says to her, if, you'd want to, if you don't believe me, your, your cousin, Elizabeth, the one who was barren, is six months pregnant right now. You should go see her. And so Mary goes to, go to see Elizabeth. And as she walks into the door, she says, she welcomes and greets her cousin. And the baby within Elizabeth's womb jumps. And Elizabeth, in a moment filled with the Holy Spirit, prophetically speaks over Mary's life and tells her that the child in her womb is blessed and is the Lord, that who am I that the mother of our Lord would walk into my door? And Mary has a realization that there is something especially unique about this pregnancy that she is going to go through. And her response to this is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And I'm going to read to verse 55. And it tells us, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown his strength with his arm He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. This song is a response of someone who is amazingly familiar with disturbances of shalom. Mary is someone who is well acquainted with the alienation, sadness, and pain that sin brings to this human life. You see, Mary is living in a time where, as a Jewish person, she is living under the rule and thumb of the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, inequality was rampant, where over 90% of the population of that time was living in poverty. And so Mary, this young woman in a society where women were voiceless, where she was nothing more than property of her family, this young woman was growing up in this one town called Nazareth, which of the towns in that area at the time, it wasn't the great town. Nazareth was a little hoodish. And so Mary, Mary was this young girl, probably between 12 and 14 at the time, Voiceless, voiceless young woman growing up in this not so great town in this society where 
There were people who, you know, the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. There was no existence of any type of middle class. The Roman armies were so oppressive and violent. There was greed. There was poverty. It was very much like our society today. And so Mary understood disturbances of shalom. This is the song of someone who is tired of the pain and yearns for something more. She is yearning for a peace. And as she is yearning, you can see that she prophetically speaks into this moment. Words that her son would almost mimic when he gives his first sermon in Luke chapter four. These words of, of something that is different from the kingdom that is reigning at the time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in, in a sermon in 1933 that the Song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is the most passionate, most vehement, one may almost say most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. It is not gentle, sweet, dreamy. It's not the Mary that we often see portrayed in pictures, but the passionate, powerful, proud, enthusiastic Mary who speaks here. None of the sweet, sugary, or childish tones that we find so often in our Christmas hymns, but a hard, strong, uncompromising song of bringing down rulers from their thrones and humbling the lords of this world, of God's power and the powerlessness of men. These are the tones of the prophetic woman of the Old Testament, alive in the mouth of Mary. This portion of scripture, which is almost strange to preach about, in the past century has been banned at least three times by governments. In India, during the time of British colonization, they were prohibited from the public recitation and singing of this text in churches. So when India was released from British authority, authority, excuse me, when India was released from British rule, Gandhi requested, Gandhi, who wasn't even a Christian, requested that this hymn be sung everywhere British flags were being lowered. In the 1980s in Guatemala, they banned the public reading of this hymn because they believed that it would incite rebellion amongst the poor people in the country. In Argentina, during the dictatorship, mothers of disappeared children used text from this scripture and put them on posters and hung them up, which led to the banning of the use of this hymn. So as I read this and I studied this text, I began to say there's something here in this response to the, the coming of Jesus that we have been missing. I had never heard a sermon preached on this, what Mary sung. And if I did, it was about how happy she was to become a mother, as if her becoming a mother is the only value she has given to the Christian story. It was about how humble and quiet and submissive Mary was, because for some reason, women who are faithful are only faithful if they are humble and quiet and submissive and unheard and unseen. 
And I began to understand why people would want to ban this hymn because this is something that tells us a little bit about how to react to disturbances of shalom in our society. This hymn is something that tells us that Christmas is really about what happens when God sees disturbances of shalom. When God sees disturbances of shalom, he says to those powers that you will be made humble. When God sees disturbances of shalom, he makes sure that the hungry are fed. He takes down rulers from their thrones. He exalted those who are humble. When God sees disturbances of shalom, he looks at the marginalized, the unseen, the oppressed, the voiceless, and he says to them, not only do I see you, but I am with you. Not only do I see you, but I am putting myself in the same position as you, and I am overturning those things that are oppressing you. Not only do I see you, but I see you enough to be part of your story and part of your narrative. I see you enough that I'm going to align myself with this poor girl as a representation of not only who God is, but what it looks like to go against sin in society. And so, just to let you know, I'm not a long preacher at all. I'm really to the point. Um, <laughs> um, but let's continue. Um, <laughs> The beauty in this text is not just about what it says, but it's about who is saying it. In a space, in a, in a biblical text, in this scripture, it is not often that you hear from a woman. As you are reading through the Bible, it is not often that you hear anything from women. And when you do hear from them, it's very short. But this is one of the largest pieces of text spoken by a woman in scripture, other than Hannah's prayer in, in the Old Testament. This is also a text where Mary is prophetically speaking without a prophetic commission. It is an occurrence where you have someone who is supposed to be uneducated, who is speaking about with knowledge of who God is. And so, what is beautiful about this is what she tells us about what Christmas is today in the 21st century. As we walk into this Advent season, it's about so much more than having a holly jolly Christmas. It's about so much more than tidings of comfort and joy. It's about so much more than the songs. It's about so much more than the gifts. It's about so much more then, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season, which he is, but it's so much more than that. This text tells us something about sin and something about our responsibility for addressing sin in society. And the perfect time to do that is in the Advent season. The perfect time to do that. In this time where Mary is announcing a reversal of roles in society, a shift in the socioeconomic understanding of life at the time, a shift where God cares about the actual day-to-day -day lives of people and not some, not some salvation and deliverance that is metaphysical and ethereal and some deliverance in your mind of some sort, 
of thing that we don't really understand or feel. Mary is talking about a literal deliverance from the things that are hurting and oppressing you and causing pain in your life right now. I don't know about you because I don't really want some metaphysical mamby-pamby word of some deliverance, of some type of salvation that's supposed to make me feel good, a little band-aid over the pain that sin has caused in my life. I don't want that. Miss me with that. You can keep that. What I want is something that is real right now. I want something that's going to address the fact that there are asylum seekers at our border that need somewhere to go. I need something that'll address the fact that there are thousands of families in California with nowhere to go because there's a, sorry, there's a housing crisis in California. Excuse me. Um, I, need some, I need something that will address the inequalities within the church, that will address the inequalities socioeconomically. I need something real. And this hymn is real. I never gave a title for this sermon um, because I went through about six or seven titles and I didn't want to give you six or seven titles because that's not what they teach you in preaching class. Um, <laughs> but if there was any title for this sermon, it would be, this is a song for our time. A song for us to sing right now. If there's any carol for us to start singing, it is this one. Because one of the things it tells us is that where, there was, where, where sin brings pain, where there was once peace, what God desires to bring is to restore peace where there was once pain. And the ways in which to do that are tangible and real. The ways in which to do that start with us changing and transforming the spaces that we are in right now. So to go back to my study of sin, as I was studying, I started to think about how to address sin in my life. And I thought to myself, I need to fight against sin, but how do I do that? Um, there's lots of ways that Christianity has said to fight against sin. You know, there's, you know, fasting and self-denial and all of that stuff. And I, I am a good Christian, you guys. I do believe that stuff is important, but I'm a very practical person. And I am, um, I'm someone who's tired of Christianity in the form that it has been given to me. And so I don't want someone to tell me to fight sin by fasting and praying. I want someone to tell me to fight sin by protesting, by going to the border and helping people, by writing my Congress people, by advocating, by, by having this righteous anger, by changing something in my community right now. That's how I'm fighting sin. Because sin brings pain, it means that I need to be someone who brings peace. In this Advent season, it is a time in which people believe that there should be a peace on earth, but peace doesn't come by just wishing for peace. Peace comes through people who make peace. 
And so the call on each and every one of our lives is that where there is sin and sin has turned pain, where there was peace, we need to be people who bring peace and restore peace where there is pain. It means that we have to allow peace to transform every level of our society, every level of our individual selves. We have to allow for that shalom to transform even the deepest pain within us so that we are able in turn to, br to bring shalom to whatever room we walk into. I think about the Beatitudes where it tells us blessed are the peacemakers. It is because those are the people that are addressing sin in the realest of ways. Mary is able to sing this song because at the moment she is singing it, she has the embodiment of shalom within her womb. She is a peacemaker and she preaches of peacemaking and of addressing the, the disturbances of shalom because shalom is residing inside of her. And I think it's a powerful thing because of the fact that now, as Christians, we have the fullness of shalom residing inside of us. The fullness of shalom is a peace that the scripture says it's not as the world gives, which can be taken away. It is a peace that has been left with us. It is a peace that then in turn must be extended into the realms of this world to bring the kingdom which the advent is all about. The people anticipated the coming of the Messiah because they desired for a life that was different from what they had been given. They desired a life that was completely upside down, where those rulers and oppressors were no longer oppressing them, where the inequalities that affected their society were no longer affecting them, where they can be ruled in a just and peaceful way by a ruler who was divine. And so that kingdom is something they anticipated and awaited through the birth of Jesus. And with the coming of Christ, you have the coming of Shalom, the restoration of peace. But it's not just a restoration of peace for some time later. I know that we talk about the second advent where we hope for the restoration of that peace, but I want you to know that the restoration of that peace has already come. The restoration of that peace is residing each, inside each and every one of us in this room at the moment. And our job, our call in the Advent, in this time, in this season, is to be restorers and makers of that peace in, in all of our circles. That is what the Advent is about. I love Christmas. My Christmas tree was up the day after Thanksgiving. But I have to tell you that I'm tired of Christmas in the way that it's been done. And I am ready for something more, something real, something tangible, something that actually matters. I am tired of reading scripture in the way that it's been read. And I want it to look something like this magnificent prophecy that Mary spoke over the child that was in her womb. I want to be able to make a declaration wherever I go that peace has come to this space. I want to be able to enact change and tell people that the kingdom of God is here, that what you have been waiting for is here, the peace that you are yearning for is present right now. I want something real. 
and I want to sing a song that matters. This morning, I, um, I struggled so much to prepare this sermon for multiple reasons, which I told you about my complicated relationship with scripture, but also because as I, I was thinking, so I'm a pastor at one place, which you already know, um, and Anna was a faithful worshiper of the one place, at the One Place community. And we had actually done her baptism in April. And uh, Dean Kill called me yesterday afternoon to tell me. And then I, in my job, had to call every other One Place pastor. And then I had to start thinking, what are we going to do as a One Place community about this? And that was when I was in the middle of my sermon prep, and my whole afternoon was spent thinking, like, wow. She was just baptized in April. We had spent this time together. We were both being trained by Rachel Keel, so sometimes, you know, our workout sessions would overlap. <laughs> I had just seen her on Tuesday as I was leaving a workout. And I started to think, I was like, God, what does this even mean? Why, why does this even matter? What hope is there for Advent when we have meaningless deaths happening every single day? And so I told God, I was like, Lord, if there, are, if there is any hope, I need you to show it to me tonight because I don't have hope in this moment. I don't have hope as I'm calling the other team members and we're talking about a student, a former student who died, where I have her teachers crying on the phone. I, I don't know what to do with that. And so, I needed something more than Oh Holy Night. I needed to hear the song of Mary because Mary is well acquainted with grief. I imagine that as Mary looked at her son on the cross, that she sung this song in her heart that somehow as she saw her son dying, she was singing, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate and he has filled the hungry with good things while the rich he sent away empty. As she watched her son dying, she was saying, things are changing. As she was grieving, she was taking hope in the fact that God has literal, tangible answers to the sin and disruptances of shalom that affect our lives today. So however anyone in this room may grieve over a number of things, God has a literal, tangible answer to the disturbance of shalom, and it is a peace that is transformative. It is a peace that is within you, and it is a peace that affects and enacts change to bring peace where there is pain. 
And so, in this moment, in this Advent season, as we walk into understanding and hearing once again with Christians around the world, this Christmas narrative, this, this understanding of the birth of the Savior, I want you to know that shalom empowers us to bring shalom to the rest of the world. Shalom is what we yearn for, and shalom is what has come. Blessed are the peacemakers, so you can go and be peace. You can go and be at peace. For shalom resides within you. Pray with me. God in heaven, as we have reflected on this text in your word, we are reminded that when we come to worship, when we come to your, to your word, that we are not coming without the cares of this world on our minds, but that God, you have just reminded us that you have an answer to each of those, that you have a response, and that you respond in turn by reminding us that it's not that you don't care, it's that you care immensely and that you are there with us, that you are in it, you are in the mess of this world, and so God, you are saying to us, be at peace, because peace has already been given to you. I pray that as we go into this Advent season that we will remember that what we yearn for is already here, that the shalom sin has stolen, you have given to us to restore it to this world, to our families, to our friendships, to our communities, to our, our nation. God, blessed are these peacemakers that sit before me. May they be at peace, may they be peace, and above all, may they go in peace. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the New Life Fellowship audio service. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and that you will continue to tune in. New Life is located in the Seminary Chapel on the campus of Andrews University, and our services are held every Saturday at 11.45 a.m. Keep up with the latest information about what's happening at New Life by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes and through our social media connections on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Simply type in New Life AU in the search bar and you'll find us. Until next time, may the Lord bless you with a new love, new integrity, new faith, and a new experience.